Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Of really true fiction. Are you, are you telling us how sad you are, Luke? Wubble of a dub dub. Yes. Welcome to another episode of Really True Fiction. This is Luke Mason. And this is David Parker. David, I have a question for you. Okay. What is it, Luke? Do you think that scientifically traditions are an idiot thing? Hmm. No, I don't think I do. No. Uh, but uh, I can understand why someone would feel that way. Okay, but. Uh, taking you know, scientific into, progress goes boing. Taking so. into consideration the scientifically as the uh, adjudicator of the paradigm, what would science make of traditions? Well, I think it would depend it'd on be the an scientist. Anthrop- it'd be right? an anthropology question. Maybe. But I think it's probably a psychological question, too. Why do we put these rituals into our lives? What are their purpose? What do they serve for? Inter- <laughs> I mean... Considering the person who said this, <laughs> his mental stability is questionable. So, yeah, that's true. Maybe, I guess maybe so. these rituals provide us with uh, a sense of grounding in a world that's fairly chaotic mm-hmm. in a multiverse <laughs> that doesn't give a shit about us. Yeah, that's true. Fair enough. So today we are going to start our Rick and Morty adventure. Uh, Rick and Morty is a animated comedy show that airs at least originally i believe on adult swim the network and it was created by justin roiland i hope i'm pronouncing his name right and dan Harmon, who also dan Harmon was the creator of community that tv show as well so he's got his bona fides all over modern comedy hey although i think this is his masterpiece personally. yeah there's some pretty high level stuff in community and it just so happens but, that uh, elon musk agrees with us on this one so. <laughs> Do you have a um, do you have a bet with someone that you need <laughs> that to I get mention him in every single episode? To, well, I don't know if it's everyone, but it's probably like eighty five percent. I read about him a lot. Yeah, so. fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and so um, Rick and Morty, I believe it premiered in two thousand and thirteen. I think was the year, and I remember I was in Korea actually when it first came out, and I had a buddy named Phil who was just like, "Have you seen Rick and Morty?" Have you seen this show, Rick and Morty? Have you seen the show, Rick and Morty? I was like, well, no. What's this? What are you talking about? He's like, Luke, you need to watch Rick and Morty. And so, did you watch Rick and Morty? I did. Yeah, I I remember watching. I think it would have been about 2014 when he was saying this to me. So I think it was after the first two seasons had. Whenever it was, he was talking to me. The first two seasons were already available. So I watched the first two seasons right away. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I understand why he wanted me to watch Rick and Morty. And then I watched season three after it had come out. I can't remember. Maybe Was it 2017? Maybe? 2016, 2017, I think. Yeah, I think it was 2017. And then for this, I rewatched all three seasons. So all the episodes of season one, two, and three. 
and five episodes from season four. And I'm not totally sure how many episodes there are in season four right now. I've seen six, but it might be more. But I watched five of them. There will probably be more, but like this is yeah. one of the things about Rick and Morty. The episodes <laughs> just come out whenever. And it's so easy to watch, yes. right? So <laughs> I, for this podcast, I rewatched all of them. Basically, I watched like 36 episodes of Rick and Morty <laughs> to be totally ready for you because I tell you right now, really true fiction listeners deserve the best. Get swiffy with it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was a TV show. And I just like, I'm kind of blown away at Justin Roiland. <laughs> the fact that he voices both Rick and Morty and so many of their scenes are just right. I mean, maybe they... F- I don't know how they record it. Maybe they record it separately and he doesn't have to switch voices, but it's incredible. I mean, he voices a lot of other characters in the show too. It's just Justin Roiland has the kind of talent that just blows my mind. I I think. Well, because he also writes the show. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So big shout out to him. I mean, there's like, when it comes to creativity, I think he's a Promethean of the modern age. I would agree. Kind of thing. Oh, well, yeah. And like you said, community is a great comedy too yeah like it, it is also up there in the pantheon of of comedies of our generation modern classics yeah definitely a modern classic i remember university we all just loved community like it was the it was everyone was talking about it but i was not introduced to rick and morty until 2017 and it was uh, two very good friends of mine named andre and chris who were always quoting it back and forth to one another on one of our group chats and I was like, I got to read this. I got to figure out, or sorry, I've got to watch this. I got to figure out what this is all about. And I'd say the first couple of episodes I watched, I didn't get it. I was like, ah, oh, you know, it's like a better Futurama. But when you really pay attention to Rick and Morty, there's a lot a lot going on there. There's obviously tons of jokes on Reddit about how people who love Rick and Morty think yeah. that they're better than everyone else. And I don't <laughs> think that's the case. But I do think it, it it's the uh, highest common denominator kind of yes, show i i and have I, that note in there somewhere and it doesn't uh it doesn't assume that its audience is stupid and i love that about it mm-hmm. but it also is willing to just go places that are really gross and crude yeah. to make significant points no kidding and i mean i was thinking a little bit about like rick and morty is the highest common denominator show yes it really is it's yes. the i mean and i'm totally baffled by how they blow pie some of the science but i i think that there's like it, it's grounded in at least modern theories yeah. of physics and stuff you know? oh yeah and, they're always throwing in things yeah and there's so many good jokes about it too and <laughs> how they play with uncertainty in season two like, and <laughs> the, the heist episode yeah oh <laughs> man that one made me laugh so hard just how um this show feels like the show that the internet needed a show made for the internet totally by the internet. yeah yeah, it, yeah. It, like i don't know if you could have made or mainstreamed like made a mainstream show that was this smart without kind of like places like reddit for fans to go talk about it yeah you know and i mean yeah. uh, maybe a, a, a slightly a, a generation earlier comparison is that arrested development was a show a little bit too smart for network television as an audience, like the jokes were just so fast and and clever, and there were running jokes and repeats that it wasn't until it was off the air really that Arrested Development picked up traction. And I think it was also a little bit because of the internet. Yeah, people were like, <laughs> "This is a great show." Yeah, yeah I agree. and and streaming services. And I mean, 
I don't think Rick and Morty is like we bought it on Apple, so I don't know. It's, it's not available on. on any of the streaming services right. I know of. Yeah, but it, it's a show. I don't know. Like the optimist in me sees Rick and Morty as a show that exists because there are enough really thoughtful people in the world to enjoy comedy. Even, yeah, you know, yeah. And it's like okay, here are creators who have to make a gamble because they're making something. Like, well, no, let's let's make a really. <laughs> the fucking smartest show we can and it's a hit like it's a it's a slam it's a grand slam hit this show is oh did you hear about the the szechuan chicken or the szechuan sauce like <laughs> like the, the, i think it was mcdonald's brought some mm-hmm. at wendy's or somebody yeah. whatever the the restaurant is brought right. it back because so many people were demanding it <laughs> yeah, just because just of rick the, and morty yeah i think that was the season three premiere was and that was like and also i guess we should just mention about rick and morty is that it's a show that's kind of i won't say it's had its own controversy but it's had its own kind of like self-trolling where season one and two come out people love it and then they're just like, well, we'll make another season sometime. <laughs> they don't <laughs> say when. Like, right? It's like, no, no. It's the, like, that's the perfect internet show. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're going to GRR Martin you right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then, when come and then there are like clever little self-references in some of the later episodes of like, I think it's in season three. Summer says to Rick and Morty, he's like, no wonder you two are behind schedule. You can't stop fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and And so there's like this kind of like, I don't even know the right word for it. Everyone's just like, more Rick and Morty. Where's Rick and Morty? And then I don't, I obviously don't know what Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland are thinking, but they're kind of like, oh, let the nerds wait. We'll get to it on our own time. <laughs> our creative process cannot be rushed. <laughs> but it is every episode and it's episodic kind of, it's like a weird hybrid of if you have no idea about the show if you're just somehow <laughs> listening to this because you you like to hear our voices which seems impossible but if that's what <laughs> rick and morty is a show that rick sanchez is a genius scientist and he lives with his daughter and her family his daughter beth her husband jerry and their kids summer and morty and morty being rick's grandson joins rick on all of his adventures and rick has a spaceship and they travel through the cosmos going to different places and he has a portal gun that takes you to different planes of existence yeah and, yeah. and they dabble in multiverse theory uncertainty theory uh, simulations um sentience like the themes of this show are basically every theme you could think of in where physics meets philosophy yes it's incredible yeah. Meet science, like yeah, the 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 borderline between science and theory is this show. Yeah, and it just plays with ideas. It just takes them to their ultimate conclusion. And on top of all of that, the animation's beautiful. Hey, yeah, it's like it looks. It's so the sprites are vibrant. I don't know if that's the right term. I just feel like that's the right term. <laughs> you know what? We're gonna we're gonna coin it. The sprites it's, are vibrant. It's kind of it, it, the show that the aesthetic of it that it reminds me of the most is Family Guy. But it's yep. even a little bit brighter, I think. The colors are more alive and, than and Family Guy. Um, like, the lines are not as rounded and smooth. Yeah, that's more. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the droopy lip is pretty funny. <laughs> the Morty droopy yes. lip is pretty good. <laughs> so we have decided, as a result of me insisting on myself watching every single episode of Rick and Morty that I could, which is basically all of them, all of them. we have a lot to talk about. Yes. So we are going to actually f- split 
<laughs> one TV show up into three different episodes. And so today's episode is actually just going to be entirely focused on Rick. If you've seen the show at all, you under- you probably understand why. <laughs> <laughs> he is the backbone of the show. He is the kind of motor, the motivating force of everything that's happening. Rick and Morty would not exist without Rick. So we're going to kind of... show about Morty would be incredibly boring. Yeah, although you know what? Like any... So just to kind of tie back to that point I was making about... It is episodic, but there is character arcs. (laughs) Or there are character arcs, which is interesting. And not just like running joke character arcs, but... But like seeming growth. Yeah, former plot points yeah. impact future plot so, points. So season three and four Morty are way more impressive than season one Morty. Yes. You know? Yeah. So it's kind of cool that way. So yeah, we're going to start with Rick. Rick Sanchez. And I don't know exactly where to start with Rick. There's a lot of options. But I think maybe the very first note I have about him is probably something we could very easily say. So like he starts the show drunk. <laughs> yeah he's and... drunk in like the very beginning of the show and it's a theme he's an alcoholic he's drinking all the time he's always got a flask on him yeah there's even an episode <laughs> i think it's the vindicators episode where he's the villain like he's the behind the curtain behind every curtain ultimate villain but it's only when he was drunk that he did it all and he doesn't remember it so sober rick is trying to help everybody beat drunk rick who left video clues in like a <laughs> saw-esque yeah like so, yeah, I mean, just as a – I think this is a pretty natural launch pattern to talk about, Rick. In the totality of the show, how do you feel his alcoholism – what is it reflective of? And feel free to talk for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that when you think about Rick as a character and why he drinks so much, it's because he's got this nihilism that's consuming his soul. And he doesn't seem to get joy out of anything. And he's he, like – if, if we're talking about the ultimate cynic, that's Rick. One of the things I love about Rick and Morty is that it it uh, riffs on Doctor Who, which is an incredibly popular show with people that now would have grown out of Doctor Who, and now they're being introduced to Rick and Morty. And this is this is a doctor who is essentially completely disenfranchised with existence whereas doctor who he's like thinks things are wondrous and just loves I was gonna the say doctor of- who's not an alcoholic is no he? not at all right <laughs> no. it's like he's the cultural answer to doctor who if doctor who is the the universe is a beautiful wonderful place we just gotta go find beauty in it rick is like nothing matters everything <laughs> sucks yeah and i'm and even though i'm the best that there is mm-hmm. that doesn't give me any joy at all no so in terms of his alcoholism I think there's a really deep point here, which is that when you look at the universe as meaningless, like how are you going to deal with that psychologically? And obviously he deals with it by kind of burying it and then deep, dark, bitter cynicism. There's that episode where he talks about love. And like, yeah. and the other thing is this cynicism doesn't just come from his realizations about the nature of reality. Right. It also comes from experiences that he's had, like his wife dying and when he loses his wife stopping believing in love and like there's that episode where it's the flu episode or the you know where there's the the flu is happening and it mm. ends up spreading and everyone falls in love with morty because oh yeah because yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. rick makes the love potion right yes um and then they all become like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like they got they all got morty boners yeah they all but then they all become these crazy weird creatures oh yeah like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> another thing rick and morty does great yeah is the weird creatures and uh anyway and he's like, love is just um, 
it's just a, a chemical reaction. And then he goes on to the, this little riff about how, you know, eventually everyone falls out of love after falling into love. Right. And it's just this completely bitter, cynical view of reality. And yet he continues going. <laughs> and maybe that's fueled by by alcohol. Who knows? But like, it's like the end of episode or of the third season, I think, where they're just playing hurt by Nine Inch Nails. So one of the things that I love about that is it's describing also the pain that he realizes he causes the whole world by his alcoholism and not just his alcoholism, but by his cynicism. He's realizing that his complete selfishness. So like he's self-aware. It's not like he's cynical and selfish, although he is those things. He is those things because... But he knows he's doing it. He knows he's doing it. And it bothers him at some... And I think that's why he drinks. It bothers him that he's doing it. Yeah, that was a really good path to get to where I think so, too, is that I think... And this is probably not (laughs) surprising, but I think Rick uses alcohol to not feel the pains that come from conscience that he does have at some level. And one of the cool things about the show is how they actually start to flesh that out a bit more as a character art in the, in the later episodes. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny how it, it just, it could be a very small part of an episode, but it is a little bit of that kind of like hedonistic nihilism that he indulges in. I mean, it's like, it's glossed over in the show because basically, and I don't know if this actually happens, but Rick, <laughs> the character of Rick would have some sort of like serum or anti-alcohol poisoning yes, <laughs> thing. Yes, he'd be able to take to, care to, of the, to, the health to, problems. Exactly. Sure. <laughs> and so it's just a really deeply interesting thing about how they've portrayed Rick in that he is this kind of, well, he's a superhuman. Like like he's essentially he, a god. Yeah, he's right? essentially a god. Like he's he's the, he's the not even just the world's smartest person. He's like the universe's smartest person. Yeah. He can't <laughs> and be beaten by anyone, he, he's basically. He's the universe's smartest Rick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of all of the iterations of Rick in the multiverse, he's the best one. Like, although, he comforts, although he comforts Morty with that. He's like... <laughs> there is... I think it's early... It's one of the early episodes of season one, Rick and Morty die. And then an alternate yeah. universe, <laughs> Rick and Morty come bury them and live in that reality. So... Yeah. That's the Rick we're talking about, I guess. Well, I think, <laughs> and so isn't it, isn't it that our original Rick and Morty go or they destroy the universe? It's the flu one. Remember, they destroy that whole planet Earth, uh, so yeah. they just go to another one. <laughs> yeah, they. I guess they probably do it a few times. Yes, <laughs> there's definitely one where like the original Rick and Morty that were introduced to at the very beginning die. Yes, and then they just show up from an alternate one. I can't remember if that was before or after the one that is destroyed and they just move on to another one. So they've probably been in a few. Right. Right. <laughs> and yeah. So I mean, this show is such a mind fuck if you really try to stop and yeah. think about it. So I think maybe our main character Rick and Morty are like maybe the third iteration of them from when right. the show started right. <laughs> so well, like there's that one episode where he loses his arm and like grows a new robot arm and then the I next know. episode he has an arm again like oh this would be a good subreddit or something to check out like wh- who is rick actually like where <laughs> which rick is, <laughs> which rick rick? is rick yeah <laughs> we could have an identity episode although i'm sure that they have a few of those so anyway that's all That'll probably happen a lot because this show is so funny and has all these weird asides that we're going to indulge in because we're 
<laughs> shitheads ourselves <laughs> who enjoy indulging. So enjoy anyway, <laughs> the thing that is striking is that Rick is this godlike character who is still trapped in finiteness, I yeah. guess. Like he's got an infinite mind. Well, in he a can sense. keep resurrecting his like his mind into yeah. bodies. Like yeah. there's that episode where he does multiple times. He's in yeah. different bodies that have been resurrected. And I guess he could live outside of the space time continuum. He could probably figure out a way, but he just doesn't choose to. I guess that'd probably be the biggest reason. He just chooses to live temporally <laughs> and yeah. spatially. And so what are you going to do? <laughs> and so he, here's something I think is very true about Rick. He doesn't like the pangs that he gets of conscience. He just doesn't like them. So he feels them when they happen and then they happen few and far between, but they do. So I think the alcohol is His kind of, of dealing with the, of, of, of those pangs, right? It's like, well, okay. I know nothing matters. And I mean, honestly, I think Rick is a negative version and Morty is a positive version, eventually, of the point of the myth of Sisyphus that's going on, is that the meaninglessness of reality to Rick, it doesn't destroy him. It doesn't make him distraught. It just kind of makes him bored. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so the only thing that makes Rick not bored is to do his adventures, do his gimmicks. I remember a term that I found from a guy who was a... Maybe we talked about it on the podcast before. I met a guy in Korea one time who self-identified as a transhumanist. Yes, yeah. And I was like, mentioned that, what, yeah. what is that? And he's like, well, I think that, you know, it's kind of like the philosophy of Rick. The world is, the, like, the, the ultimate meaningless of reality just means that one day we will reach the end of knowledge, and then there's really no point of existence anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, interesting. Well, so, like, if you know that's the case, because, you know, I like to go down garden paths even if they're not my own perspective i'm like well so if that's the case why even go at all anywhere like why not just because yeah, if, if, if and he had a and he had an interesting term called that he called intellectual hedonism yeah you've mentioned this, right yes, into yes. that like just the i guess kind of satisfaction of learning as everything you can learn about the universe See, and i think that there's and there's a bit of that but i think for rick it's rick. creative hedonism oh okay because like he creates these little worlds like the whole remember the whole toilet episode where he's like basically built the perfect toilet for himself <laughs> yes he yes take, yes like yes. the ultimate shit and he gets really pissed with that alien for finding his toilet yeah rick's doing that all the time he created that little world for beth mm. when she was a kid right yeah. fruity land <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah he's he, always tinkering with stuff and building stuff he in enjoys his. that though yes like that's he, what i'm he, saying i think it's it's cre- creative hedonism yeah he gets pleasure from the creation mm -hmm. so i think oh man this is really tricky to try and parse out so i think i think rick enjoys the adventures but he is so like it's not even he's committed to the idea of meaninglessness he just kind of knows it so he doesn't he doesn't get wrapped up so i actually think (laughs) weirdly rick is a good teacher in reminding everyone else who go too who seem to go too far in another direction of caring too much about unimportant things that's where rick really shines i think is when he's reminding the smith family of all of their stupidity and because he's he doesn't give a shit he he's not very kind about it and yet 
it's weird. I, that's kind of like where I like Rick the most. <laughs> is, is when he's is, reminding is, them. Is of, when he's reminding them of their own superficialities, right? He's in like, the face of a meaningless cosmos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got this way of doing it where he's bored and mean at the same time with what's going on and it's like okay maybe you could be nicer but that wouldn't be the comedy of the show either right Right. like a lot of the comedy of the show comes from rick's dismissiveness of everyone and yet he still kind of needs morty because he likes morty and And so he needs morty for protecting you know his brainwave situation and there's enough (laughs) yeah that's true so there's enough that's complicated about rick to himself that he just would rather not deal with. So a beauty of this show is that even the most godlike character needs one of the basest human chemicals to cover over his emotions. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's a great way of putting it. And I like that. And I think that that's like a really interesting and, and tr- like a true meditation on alcoholism. And not only alcohol, but like the base things people choose to prevent themselves from feeling things deeply because of how much it hurts. I think I may have brought this up before, but shout out to my friend Tom uh, in his book that is not published yet. We'll see if it gets published. But one of the lines is, most people can't handle stone cold reality, stone cold sober. Mm -hmm. Right? It's just, it's hard out there. (laughs) And like most people... Whether it's, you know, traveling. Who's seen more reality than Rick? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's seen all, all of reality. Yeah. yeah, and so I think probably that's true about his alcoholism. Because even that joke I made off the top that you were referencing, Wubba Lubba Dub Dub, we see it as a party. And Rick's always up for a party, and it's kind of fun. He's got a party bone. The dance parties he has, he has parties at the house. He likes it. He kind of just always does what he likes whenever he wants to. He does whatever he wants whenever he wants to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's such a like he doesn't have a job. Like there's never a moment where Rick has a job. Like I don't think there's a person. Like there actually wouldn't be a person like Rick who is so competent and yet so impulsive. No, because it'd be very hard to build the discipline necessary to be competent. (laughs) Yeah, and and part of again more of the comedy of the show is that just Rick has a plan or a contraption or a device for every single fuck up that he or Morty ever makes. Yeah, so he's omniscient in his planning. Well, there's like that moment where where Morty falls off the cliff and breaks his leg, and he's just lying there in pain, and he's just got legs injects him, (laughs) saving serum. My my leg's okay now. Don't worry about it, Morty. And there's something funny about his always stuttering. Hey, yeah. Well, but really smart people, you see this a lot, often stutter Mm -hmm. um, when talking. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this for a couple days, and I don't, I don't know exactly how to. It's not like a full idea yet, but I was, okay, what is Rick, really? And I think Rick is so interesting that he could be a lot of different, like, he's almost like a Rorschach of, like, what deep psychology do you want to get out of right. him? Right, yeah, yeah. So the one, so the lines that stick with me, the one that really stuck with me deeply was in season three, and it's near the end of season three. I can't remember exactly which ap- episode, but I think he's talking to Summer, and he's talking to Summer who, it, it, like, and, and, and actually one of the great things of the show is how Summer gets a much more mainstream role, I think, in season two on. Yes. You know, I love that, actually. There's a quote, he says, when you know nothing matters, the universe is yours. He might be saying it to Beth. I can't remember. And so 
I liked this because, it, well, I, I'll contextualize it, but it reminds me of a Nietzschean line. You can't analyze something until you have well and thoroughly laughed at it. <laughs> right. And so if I'm going to put a positive spin, which is what I'm prone to do, on Rick, it's that he is living in such a way that when you know nothing matters, you don't take it too seriously so you can take it seriously enough because you're in the right paradigm. You're in the right mental state. You know what your goals are, right? right. You know what right. you you know the absurdity of the task cosmically, and Rick knows it cosmically <laughs> better than anyone. Yep. So once you know the absurdity of your task cosmically, and all of that wind can be taken out of sails, and all the piss can be taken out of that beer, <laughs> kind yep, of thing, yep. right? Then you can like actually work hard at it from the angle that you want to, and so. I'm going to lay out the positive of Rick is, is the is what I would call like I, for myself I laugh at just about anything. <laughs> like right. throw me a sacred cow of anywhere in the world and I'll tell you why it's kind of funny. <laughs> at, at some perspective, right, right? Right. And then once the piss has been taken out of Jesus or <laughs> Scientology or environmentalism or liberal philosophy, once the piss has been taken out of it and you aren't as full of pomp yeah we can have a really good analytic discussion about it yeah well it's like you say that's you the li- good you like side to talk about metaphysics but you don't even believe it's real yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and once that kind of attitude is at least known i feel like everything could be way more fruitful you know and here's what i would contend that attitude of rick that small little nugget i think of wisdom from rick is actually what rubs off on Morty and Summer subconsciously throughout the run so that by season three and four, they are able to articulate that really well. and also, well. like, one of the things I like about their character development that Rick kind of displays to them is there is a, a great strength in not worrying about stupid things, right? And they start off worrying about stupid things, and Rick's always like, why is this what matters to you? Like, let's go do something actually cool and exciting like stop obsessing about your biology of desiring to reproduce or like like love i'm not saying love is stupid but love is a good example because the moment that you (laughs) i don't know the right expression the piss has remained in you haven't taken the piss out yet well the person in love is an infatuated fool yes (laughs) right they are they are overly romantic they are swooning they have no sense of proportion okay you laugh at that person, you take the piss out of them, then you can have a real conversation about their actual feelings. Yes. It's not just a show. But you have to help them laugh at it too because if they're (laughs) taking it too seriously, they're not going to understand, oh, after, you know, the, as everyone (laughs) says, the honeymoon phase is over and you're you're in the trenches of real life, as we've talked about in things like Blue Valentine Mm -hmm. and things like that, then what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, good point. Like, then again, with that, perspective on board rick has no interest in formally educating people on that no <laughs> right like no, that's not his interest he doesn't care to like go to a classroom and say by example right? yeah here's why you shouldn't actually take this too seriously because the universe is vast and you're such a measly proponent of one version of the universe on earth there are so infinite earths he doesn't care to like lecture but to the extent that anyone will lend an ear, that's kind of his 
Well, and he does like being. to let people make mistakes to show them why it's a mistake. So, yeah. for example, the one where Morty's like, "I, you always choose the adventures. I never get to choose the adventures. Yeah. Like, how about you let me do an adventure? And if it's good, if it's awesome, mm-hmm. then you get to pick you know, the next <laughs> 15 adventures or whatever. Or, or you, I'll never, you get to pick all the rest of the adventures. But if mine's good, yeah. I get one out of 10. Like, they do the whole negotiation. <laughs> yeah. And then they go do this adventure. And it turns out the king whose kingdom they were saving is like this child molester. Yes. Yeah. The <laughs> jelly like, bean, right? Yeah. And it's this great analogy for, you know, we don't really know who our heroes are sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and we we spend time, you know, making these fantastical ideas of what these people are. Right. When, you know, reality is a little bit different. And and Rick, Rick just lets it happen. He's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. like, <laughs> But, man, he doesn't necessarily want to win because then he's in a competition. And he doesn't really feel like he's ever even in a competition with anyone. No. So, like, everything that happens is just an unfortunate but probably inevitable speed bump along the way to his hedonism about the universe and just discovering new things and getting new elements and whatever. And so even when he's making fun of Morty or Jerry or an alien he's defeated, he's roasting them, but it's not what he really cares. Like he's always doing something else while he's roasting them. Like it's just kind of like... In passing, you suck, haha. But I don't really care that much. I think part of why we, why people love Rick, is that his roasts are just so good. <laughs> yeah, like, and actually, we see that in the episode with Morty because Morty gets better at the ro- roast, right? He's like w- with Morty and uh, President Obama, where he's like Commander right, yeah. Queef. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, whoa, nice one. Rick's like, nice one, Morty. <laughs> yeah, I, again, more complicated. Rick, like he does have such a jovial reaction to things. Yeah, like he can be inside. He's he can have such incredibly good moods, so I wonder if he's like a little bit like I wonder I don't know maybe he's alcohol is part of that like that swinging like he's just when he's the right amount of drunk he's, he's just, just so happy, happy. <laughs> yep. And, yep. and he likes and I think deep down this is probably why the show works fundamentally is that he really truly cares about Morty he makes a big song and dance of not. But he always kind of looks out for him. Yeah. And he wants him to come on the adventures and he wants him around and like And I think that's well symbolized in the I think it's the uncertainty episode where there's like sixty-four. They they divide into sixty-four different versions yes. of themselves. Yeah. And one out of the sixty-four Ricks wants to save <laughs> Morty, right? Yeah. When yeah. Morty falls through space around Schrodinger's cats <laughs> floating around, which yeah. is that's a great joke. <laughs> so like at least one sixty-fourth of Rick. <laughs> likes Morty. wants to save yeah. Morty and I think that that's kind of the motif of the show that makes it kind of like weirdly lovely is like there's so much wrong with Rick and yet the good parts still kind of come out when it comes to Morty and Summer too yeah and he says it like explicitly like I care about my grandkids I love my grandkids and that's why he fucking hates Jerry so much <laughs> is like, why he wants to get rid of Jerry it's <laughs> Jerry thinks, is well. There's he even says like, I give up. I give up, Jerry. Like you got your your mediocre tendrils that you just keep getting into everything. Yeah. <laughs> it so it's <laughs> Rick's nemesis. Jerry isn't someone who's like who's as good as Rick. It's someone who's so bad in the opposite direction that Rick can't actually Rick can't actually figure out how to even compete with him at all. <laughs> yeah. Like Jerry can't even make it to the start line. 
Well, there is so, no competition. I think that's like you said. Yeah. He's not competing with anyone. He he. There's just a levels of sustain uh, disdain he has for certain yeah. kinds of people. So, I guess I want to because I think this is so important. Like flesh out a bit Rick's ability to keep going on in a universe that doesn't actually excite him. Yeah, you know, like it's 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 a the deep existential question of Rick is like, well, what what motivates him? And I and I do think part of it is freedom. Like I think I see Rick as such a well, in one sense, he's like a libertarian wet dream, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, yeah. And that's referenced uh, explicitly in some of the episodes where it's like. I don't get along with the government. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on a lot of terrorist lists. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, this might seem strange. I actually really see Rick as a kind of hopeful character. Not in every instance. And I'm not so, like, panglossian to think that. But in the ways that he manages to to kind of hold two ideas, two seemingly contradictory ideas in his head simultaneously and not destroy him, it's that... Okay, the universe is meaningless, but I'm still interested in going and exploring it. And I think the logical ends of those don't work, (laughs) right? Like they're in direct logical contradiction with each other. And yet Rick knows that and can still kind of figure out how to live moderately well and with interest. What What do you think it is that drives them? Do you think it's the intellectual hedonism or... I think it's, yeah, I I mean, I don't know. If you call it hedonism, it's it, it connotes a little bit too much of the pleasure aspect. I, like I, Rick seems to really enjoy the puzzle. Right. You know, he, likes, like he like, does. Like when he's Pickle Rick, he's yeah. like, he just keeps going. He doesn't yeah. give up and be like, I'm a pickle. <laughs> yeah. He He's so, I mean, it, again, more comedy of the show. He never fails, really. I mean, no. maybe there are. I can't remember. Off the, it's just probably a couple times he fails. Of maybe... Any of the stories we've done, I don't know. We've done some really interesting stories. But of all of them, I can't think of one I'd rather talk to the creators of than this one. Right. Because I want to know what they think about Rick. Because I do think Rick, and maybe this is just me Rorschaching him again and mapping on my own interpretations, I do see him as maybe not the best version of, but at least a passable version of someone who can live well while being a nihilist in the technical sense of a universe ultimately meaningless but there's enough to do still that's fun and interesting and i can take just seriously enough because i know how to not take it seriously in the first place and so that's actually why i i see about him is like he's he's interested in the other aliens he is interested in other sentient creatures it's not like he's not but he's like they got to be able to do something for him <laughs> whether yeah. it's whether it's emotionally or psychologically or intellectually and there aren't a lot that can do that for him so it's not like he's biothropic yeah. <laughs> or something right like he he doesn't hate everything he just hates most things and but so he does that you're right he has enough interest in what I I really I gotta go back to though he seems to love like science, really yeah. is what it is. Yeah, the pursuit. He of loves knowledge. discovering how things work and manipulating matter to do his bidding, essentially. Yeah, because that's what happens most often, right? Is that he's manipulating something with science in order to get yeah this desired outcome, mm-hmm. and like that's why he's so powerful too, is because he understands 
the building, let's say, the building blocks of the universe better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And therefore, he can manipulate them better than anyone else. And he enjoys the process of that manipulation. (laughs) Yeah, he does. He does. He gets a kick out of it. And so do I, watching him do (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah. I guess, man, it's tricky. So if I think about, because I'm viewing him through the Camus lens, right? Of like, okay, he's the absurd man. Like, he's the man who understands the meaninglessness of the universe and yet feels the need to do stuff. And I think why he's funny, and and I don't recommend this in real life, is that he's the man who understands the absurd and chooses to live and try to live well. And yet, with the additional characteristic, I guess, of dropping all social graces because of that knowledge right right (laughs) like he's dropped every single social grace or social propriety you could ever dream of he just tells it like it he's like he's the he's radically honest like he doesn't even care about the harm principle (laughs) i'll just get you another one from another dimension you know so i obviously don't recommend or or that moment where he says to beth like look you can go and do whatever you want and i'll just clone you you'll just be the clone and you'll just live your life with the kids and everything, and the kids will still have you well, there. And, 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 of course, the versions of Rick we see that are pleasant are easier to be around and yet also way less interesting yeah, <laughs> and way less way funny. Stupider <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess I kind of see him like that. I see him as a fictional representation of Camus' absurd yeah. man without social graces or social propriety, which is exactly why I would love to talk to these guys. But I was like... <laughs> Did you read Camus? Yeah. <laughs> it's this, it's well, this, probably the existentialist, imagine, yeah. And the, yeah, and he because he reflects a lot on his life, and so, and I guess I kind of like that. Like I kind of like the first half of that. I like the idea of being someone who can face the absurd and not quiver, and kind of like be not deterred by it. Well, I guess, in, and in that sense, he's the Nietzschean Uberman. Right, because he he's overcome, right. like yeah, <laughs> like he's yeah, he is. he is, he is, he is an Ubermensch, yeah, oh yeah. for sure, like yeah, well, he is godlike, yeah. Um, I mean, so then you, powers. well, that is the dark side of it. Is that if you, I think Rick, oh man, maybe he goes so far that it would be like he can't. He also thinks that morality isn't worth the project and, either. And I think he does. Like, yeah. you see how he, like, where you said, I, I got to kind of disagree with you when you say he's trying to live a good life. Because mm. I don't think he is. He just slaughters whoever he wants. Like, well, good for him. There's that moment in the in the White House, right, where uh, where the the guards coming up to try to like arrest him. He's like, "Don't touch me. If you touch me, you'll die. You'll die instantly. There's no afterlife. <laughs> like, right? It's just darkness." And then the guy touches him, and he's just dead. Well, to be fair, he warned him. Yeah, well, he did. No, but and I, what I'm just saying is, and then he just kills everyone in the room, and there's this huge battle, right? And you can argue goes, it's self defense. You you could make that argument, but uh, that's one of the big criticisms that Morty is constantly leveling at him is like you just don't care about anyone you just leave destruction in your path remember he's sitting there with summer uh, morty's sitting there with summer at one point talking about rick and he's the world that we're actually from yeah it's completely destroyed i know i know yeah <laughs> and then he, he goes to the backyard and he like shows it a dead him and rick buried there right yeah. so then do you think this show is intentionally kind of contradicting itself through rick because there's so many times not so many there are times where rick cares about others no, he I, like he sacrifices he something for certain himself. others, right? Right, like you said, he does. He's not a misanthrope or a biothrope or whatever, but he doesn't care about much. Mm. 
and the only things he seems to care about are directly connected to him, like yeah. on a deep and profound, whether it's familial or friendship True. level. True. But I don't think that I don't think he's like there's a goodness to him. No. But what I would say is there is the admirable quality that he has is that he is able to continue on <laughs> whilst seemingly staving off despair. Yeah. And to still act in the world. Yeah. But he, is he acting properly? Well, <laughs> and how? I mean, I think his argument would be, well, you can't make a moral determination on whether or not there is a way to act properly or not. Of course. Because there is no such thing as morals. Mm-hmm. So so why be good or bad? Or is there a good or bad? Okay. Well, this uh, this is just gets into the whole like, mind fuckness of the show. Because the presentation of the show is kind of both of these being true that there is still a moral world to care about and an amoral world that is actual <laughs> yeah so well, and morty seems to still be fairly connected or deeply connected yeah maybe through jerry yes <laughs> to this idea of morality that mm-hmm. he holds to very tightly whereas rick seems unmoored from it and maybe the <laughs> reason he keeps morty around is because morty keeps him somewhat yeah maybe although he doesn't you'll notice rick never misses a chance to gloat over every time morty's conscience (laughs) ruins an adventure or makes them have a way bigger problem than they would have had otherwise 100 percent, yes so he's such a puzzle he is such a puzzle because he's kind of transcended morality but he kind of like dabbles with it enough to be interested in it and yet again because it's a tv show like that all the characters live consequence free of any decision except for some of them just die but Mm. well this is actually an interesting deep part of the show is that sometimes the consequences do come up but it's like it could be seven or eight episodes later so it's uh, oh man this is why i want to talk to these guys like how did you do all this honestly like i want to talk to these justin roiland and dan harvey like how the fuck did you make this show because it is it's episodic but it's also serial it's a comedy, but it's also a sci-fi, but it's also a philosophic s- contemplation. It's on like existence. every every thought experiment is in this show. Every physics theory is in this show. Like, how the fuck did you put all of this in one show? Yeah, because I still, even after all this, I don't really know what I think about Rick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Here's something I like about Rick. From the very beginning, he doesn't condescend to Morty or people in the way that kind of older people condescend to younger people. He condescends in a in like a factual sense, but not in a social or relationship sense. And I, I kind of like how he sticks up for Morty versus his parents in like that that could be a point in his favor. You know, right. like he he does like well maybe morty's right or why don't you listen to him <laughs> right like, right you right. know because early on jerry and beth are like <laughs> he's a 14 year old kid he doesn't know anything he's like well maybe he does you ever thought about that <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and again i wonder why it's it, it's part of that rick's ability to not get bogged down in the kind of social norms help him see like factual truth way better than any other character in the show and sometimes factual truth helps <laughs> yeah. And so I think that that's something that he does well. You know? Yep. <laughs> Here's a line he does School is stupid. It's not how you learn anything. <laughs> I've been thinking about this because my nephew um, is very good at math. He's in grade one, but he's already doing a higher level uh, addition and like it's very low level addition in grade one. 
Uh, and he, he, we talk about this. And, and the thing is, there's nothing in school that allows him to actually progress beyond the rest of his class. There, right. he's, he's held back by the lowest common denominator in his class. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think about that kind of thing a lot. It's like, I think formalized education is so essential to the development of civilization, but it necessitates treating people as units of production as opposed to individuals, which I think most learning beyond a certain point is individualistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, it makes me think a bit too about like what... <laughs> I love how much we pontificate about parenting. <laughs> you know, it's, it's true. Uh, we it's do rich. that a lot. Hey, all I can say is put, I put my hands up and I say, I know I'm doing it. <laughs> if you were a parent, like, what would you want out of a child's learning? I, here's, here's, In a sense, like, what you're getting is a diploma. And then if you go to university, a degree, which is a really nice piece of paper. I have one. I'm very grateful to my parents who sacrificed a lot of savings for me to get it, but I have done a lot more learning outside of a classroom than I ever did in one. My, bro- so- my brother-in-law uh, he couldn't go to university because, uh, mm. for whatever reason, and decided he still wanted an education, so he just started reading and reading and reading and reading, and, and did that, and I find him to be one of them, an interesting conversationist and mm-hmm. a well-educated guy. So... You could do that at university, mm. but I think it takes the initiative of the individual more than it takes the institution to act to. Oh, I love that engage. I like that because yeah. I actually have theories about that. I never related that theory to education, and I wasn't even going to talk about it now. But I want to make a connection there to a scene in Breaking Bad, and it's a very famous scene. It's the scene where Walter White or Heisenberg meets the kind of. the drug team the drug runners who live in phoenix i think and it's like gracie's like what's my name (laughs) it's like you're heisenberg yeah you're goddamn right you know it's that scene right they're they're in the desert yeah and they're talking a little bit like why why do i want your stuff i don't why should i want anything and he's like well because what you have is regular cola and what i have is Coca-Cola, grade A Coke, right? Like the best kind of cola you can have. Do you really want to live in a world without Coca-Cola? <laughs> and yeah, I yeah. actually take that as a meditation on the show Breaking Bad itself. The world doesn't need a show as good as Breaking Bad. But do you, you can really get along. Wor- live in a world without. Do you really? Do you really want to live in a world without the Vince Gilligans of it, who can make a show like Breaking Bad? We could get by on our Big Bang theories and our, uh, you know, other mindless sitcoms and even dramas, right? We could get by on four hundred different Hallmark movies, four hundred different CSIs and NCISs kind of thing. But like, do you really want to not have Breaking Bad in the world? And what I'm doing to connecting to this to the point that you made about the initiative individual is like that's the only way that you get things like breaking bad in the world. Yeah. Is the initiative take that initiative. Of Vince Gilligan. Yes. The only way you mm. get something great in a category is the initiative of someone there wanting to do it with no other incentive other than that they want to do it. Then they want to do it. Yeah. And so does that do anything to the challenge of education as an institution? 
because uh, I then think it, I think it challenges it to its very core mm-hmm. because what is treated as a production line. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem, right? Is that I, I think to a certain degree we we do need to systematize these things. If if everything is chaos, then we can't even just communicate so many with each other. Well, we can't even like if, if there so wasn't many the structure of language, we couldn't have this podcast, right? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So there has to be a common denominator, but how far do we take that? And maybe. Maybe some people just aren't interested in being individuals and they want to just fit into the herd and, and live life that way. And that's fine. I don't think they'd ever think about it like that. No, though. they wouldn't. They wouldn't. <laughs> but we see it, hmm. right? It's it's a very common reality for many, many people. It's a noticeable phenomenon. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's like that. Uh, I think it's Emerson actually said, mm. like, most men live lives of quiet desperation. Their song left unsung. I think that's Thoreau. Oh, yeah. But right. they were buddies. You're right. It is They Thoreau. were buddies. They were buddies. <laughs> and so I think the thing you want to avoid, you don't want to avoid education because the systematizing of knowledge allows you to communicate. And actually, right. if we didn't have shared stories and we didn't have shared ideals and values, Breaking Bad couldn't exist. Yeah. Because how do you speak to those deeper things in our nature <laughs> if there's no shared deeper things? Yeah. Like, where's your market? Yeah. Where, like, you're not, you're producing for nothing. That's a good band name. Producing for nothing. Producing for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Because I feel like if I had a kid who, I, I don't feel like, I know if I had a kid who's struggling with the structure of school, uh, that would be such a heartbreaking thing for me because of the value I have in learning and education. And it's not an indictment on schools because I, I've been a teacher. I know teachers. It's just not. Well, it's impossible for a teacher to give a huge amount of attention to every student. That's just mm-hmm. not feasible with, with class sizes. So what my ex used to say to me, I think as a parent, mm. she isn't a parent, but she was saying what her parents did, and I admired this, is we were homeschooled, you and I, but she, she went through the whole school system. And one she, thing she said is the reason that she did so well right. was because every night she came home and her parents sat down with her and went through everything. Right. Right? Yeah. And it was, I think as a parent... Your job is to give children the tools they need to be give them the Promethean flame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, you preempted me there because my next thought was going to or comment was going to be so like, what's a parent or guardian's role in academic education of a kid? And I think it's it's going through it's it's, it's teaching them be, as well, right? It's, it's you got to be engaged in their education. So, do, but do you think then it's? I wonder if it's something like, well, it's the teacher's job to teach. Like, if it's just. Like a blind spot, almost. I, I think that mentality is the wrong mentality. Yeah, I, because, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I know, I mean, obviously, that's... <sighs> I am so curious about the vista of what we would call the job of being a parent. <laughs> you know? Right. And in what sense that could ever be valued by a market. <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, maybe this is radical. I don't think... Like, I'm interested in how a market could financially reward kin living like and kin like parents taking or adults taking kin work yeah aging parents people taking care of parents small children for a societal benefit (laughs) yeah like it's tricky because there's no like real measurements but well at least not yet but it's like a vista because i was homeschooled too and i i think the kind of energy i had I mean, I for sure would have been on drugs now <laughs> if I or, or right. some, yeah they would have thrown some, you on Ritalin some, or something yeah. And I don't know. Like I feel like I've turned out okay, 
in my, the style of learning that I've engaged in in my life. And so, but see, the thing is too, and this is maybe thorough and or like an undercurrent in all of us that we're talking about. Initially, it lets up a little bit, but Beth and Jerry are pretty strident about Morty having to just go through yeah, the motions school. of school. Yeah. <laughs> to them, and this is probably what the show is critiquing, it definitely is what the show is critiquing, is that to Beth and Jerry, Morty's attendance at school is more important than the vibrancy of his learning. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, because you've you got to go through the proper steps. Yeah. To get because you could, you could still go to school <laughs> for 12 years, get the diploma, and yet not know a fucking thing. Well, tons but you of still people did that. But you get the diploma. So I mean, you're official. Not you're officially any, educated. I loved my uni- my time at university, but most of the learning that I've done in my industry has been on the job. The theories and the values that were conveyed in university were great, but they, mm-hmm. they were not practical. Right. They didn't make me better at what I do, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say. So it's not a racket, but it's a misalignment of... I think it's a tool. Target. I think it's a tool, yeah. and you're given it, and it's how you use it. Sure. Yeah. This show fascinates me because I feel like it tells me things that is just a little bit beyond my grasp of comprehension. But I think one of the big themes of this show is how Rick is the most loudmouth representative of pointing out the dumbass hypocrisy of small-minded social norms. Yeah. Yeah, and he does a great. That's I yeah. think one one of the things that people love so much about this show mm-hmm. is he just mocks yeah incessantly mocks stupidity but it's so it's like a level beyond mocking like he doesn't even really no, get true. a deep pleasure out of it it's just disdain <laughs> it's just, just, just disdain. it's just like why are you wasting my time with this stupid bullshit <laughs> I, but like i'm not even upset that you're wasting my time i'm already moving on to something else so i wanted to make a, just another comparison here with his lack of interest in ethics he does it almost Almost technically or officially here when it's the episode where he's using Ruben, the homeless guy, as right. a theme park. Yes, yes. And it's like he's he's mostly cared about his Pirate of the Pancreas ride. Yeah, he just loves there. that. It's like this is another major failure of the categorical imperative hey? oh, yeah. <laughs> of treating well, someone as an end in themselves and not as a means to an he end. He just keeps telling Morty, you got to go try the ride. Like The, mean, the, the end <laughs> that he's treating Ruben as is a theme park. <laughs> You know, like, because like, like I, here's the thing. Okay, David, here's the thing. If I wanted to like dabble in something a little unethical with you, it's like, okay, what end am I going to treat David for? You know, like I'll try to strong harm him into saying something nice about me to sell right, or It's right. like, or, you know, it's like, I'm going to use his job as a leverage to, you know, manipulate or, you know, it's, yeah, ever, it's yeah. like, Never once would it cross my mind. Like, you know, I'm going to make him a fucking theme park. I'm going to make a theme park. Of him is going to be a theme park. So at least, at least Rick is creative. He's very well in his yeah. <laughs> misdemeanors. Well, or or getting out of going to therapy by making himself a pickle. <laughs> like, that's a complete. That's a, such a deep episode. Hey? Oh, it ends up being. Yeah, I love how yeah these like crazy, stupid, meaningless episodes turn into really deep ones really fast. Hey everybody, Dave and I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening. Making this podcast has been a great experience, and we really appreciate all of you who choose to spend some time with us. Part of our goal is to be super open about everything we talk about on the podcast. 
If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, ideas, feedback, clarifications, or praise, please send us an email at reallytruefiction at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, if you get your podcasts on iTunes or Spotify, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you get notified when a new episode is released. If you feel so inclined, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. That is a really good way to help new listeners find the show. And please pass the show along to anyone who you think may enjoy it. Again, thank you so much for listening, because as I'm sure you have gathered, we love talking. Here's another example of him just kind of roasting the social norms. There's a one episode where he and Morty get away from like the group of aliens chasing them because he pulls Morty's pants down. And they're so offended by nudity yes. that <laughs> you just they, can't they handle can't, it, can't right? Look at it, yeah. And so, I mean, in the show, it's hilarious because Rick is cynically using a dumb weakness against a group and he makes comments like they're so primitive or like they still care about yeah <laughs> nudity, about nudity and, yeah i guess i is this again it's we're combing for interesting things this isn't like a hill i will die on <laughs> as an argument anytime soon but i do see the point and the power of the hypocrisy of like something like men can go shirtless but women can't like I, yeah. I, when 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 I do when and I have some friends who are women and they'll post articles on Facebook or things about like laws that are crazy or something. It's like you know that one actually makes sense to me. Why is it so? Even at the Super Bowl recently happened and Shakira and J Lo, who at no point show any nipples, yep, yep. <laughs> or uh, crotch, at least uh, explicitly, but they're on stage with some men who are showing it and there's no outrage and it's just i mean i don't again i don't really care <laughs> but i but i uh, the the logical consistency part of my ethical framework framework is like what do you think it is about america like specifically that has oh, more hang-ups about this I than iran and Europe? saudi arabia sure okay but <laughs> yeah they didn't even occur to me <laughs> they're so they're they're so outside of my overton window right. of accepting yeah. societies that i didn't even but it's like okay probably if it was the super bowl in sweden or norway or they france care, they wouldn't right. care so what do you uh, so here i'll try and make it a little bit more interesting sociologically like what do you think it is about america that is a different perspective on this than like almost any other major western country do you have any thoughts on that? Do you care? <laughs> like, I don't. I mean, you could say well, this, they were founded by Puritans. You know, there's still a, a large uh, religiosity and a very orthodox religiosity that kind of permeates the culture. I think it's still right. the, the highest percentage of like Bible believing Christians in the world. So, mm. you know, there's, you know, if you look at a woman, like one of the verses, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Right. Like, so. I think that is probably what it is, mm. is there's an idea that women, that, that sexuality is dangerous. Mm. And I think that's a very old human story. Sure. Sexuality is dangerous. And if sexuality is dangerous, women are the gatekeepers of sex. We've talked mm. about that before. Right. And therefore, their immodesty. Like, mm. this would be the argument that I feel like these people would make not the argument that i make yeah i understand therefore women have a responsibility not to you know right right men, right well so cause men to stumble yeah well, i mean the phrase and that's that I've heard. and that's not 
dissimilar to hardcore Islamic. That's what, yeah. Uh, so arguments of well, that, for, that's why they wear the niqab. And yeah. Um, the Super Bowl is obviously a bad example then because there's something quite sexual about the movements of yes. Shakira and J-Lo. Oh, yeah. That's a lot harder of an argument to make against someone who just wants to, on a summer day, walk downtown without their shirt on. Uh, yeah, you know I, what I mean. Like I mean, that's I. I don't not not possessing uh, boobs. I can't speak to the, like, <laughs> right. know, the the support nature of it. So like apparently, <laughs> you know, just walking around free can be a little bit hard on the back. Sure, whatever. So sure, I don't know. maybe there's practical reasons for wearing these things, but that makes sense. But I don't know. I just free the nipple is one of the few kind of at the level of culture memes that i think has some validity logically yeah, i guess like frankly i don't really care yeah well, <laughs> that's I think fair that's fair Rick doesn't really care either right like so if people wanted to do that i don't think it would bother me you know what it is saying. it's there should be a category for these well and i mean i, I again i don't want to trivialize if this is someone's really important issue <laughs> there should be a category for these low level annoyances that are technically unjust but they don't actually manifest in enough of life to make it worth the time. So yeah. here's an example that happened to me is that the city I lived in, in Changwon in South Korea for two and a half years, they had a nightclub that had an explicit no foreigner policy. Right. So if you weren't Korean, you weren't, you weren't allowed. You weren't allowed. So it was like explicitly racist, <laughs> right? It was right. like an explicitly unashamed racist policy. That's like, if you're not Korean, so like if you're white, or black, or even like Japanese, ja- Filipino, right? <laughs> right? Not you allowed. can't come in. It's like oh, that's annoying, right? But it's like, well, I don't really want to go there anyway. I guess, <laughs> right, right? And there's other places to go, and so technically unjust, but I guess whatever. So I don't know. Like that would be an interesting conversation too. Of like, what is the psychology behind? justice like do we also need enough of a of a social consequence or like do enough people does there have to be a certain level of suffering before something that is unjust we care about so Mm. is it not just a principle but also a consequence probably like just on a on a the finite nature of our attention spans and our ability to concentrate on things like we have to we have to make choices on what we're going to care about right if it's like a principle but it isn't have any practical implications that yeah i mean some people spend their whole lives on principles with no practical implications but i that's mm-hmm. just i prefer to do things that have impact right mm-hmm. like, but if but if we were on a beach i grew up in a town that was on a, a lake if we were on a beach on a really hot summer day and i was not wearing a shirt and a woman was not wearing a shirt and she got arrested i think that would be unjust yes right? yeah <laughs> like, i agree i agree like and I mean, that's so, a more libertarian mindset, I think. Yeah, uh, which I which I think we both kind of have more libertarian yeah. mindsets. I, but I just think. But you also have to think the reason why. Well, what I like about Rick, like you said, is like, he points out the ridiculousness of this and then just moves on because he's like, well, all of yeah. all of existence is ridiculous. There's so. too many like ma- like the too many manifestations of the idiocy, uh, and there's cubes out there to find that have infinite yeah. power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I mean. Again, because neither of us are women, we have to, not have to, but I think it's wise to have tempered opinions. I mean, yeah. I, I do. I think it's an interesting case. I think public nudity is an interesting case of the border of libertarianism 
freedom, ethical, like, do I give a shit about thisness? I like the border cases. Right. Uh, the border cases of anything are interesting to me because that's where you have to think at your best. Yeah. yeah. And so, anyway, mere existence. How nothing really happened and we learned nothing. <laughs> but we still continue. Uh, here's one. I like. Again, man, we're pointing out significant instances of these because I think it's so important. It's the episode where I think it's the first one where they have the interdimensional cable in season one. Right. And he yes. also gives, but Jerry and Beth and Summer can see their alternate selves. And he says, who wants to narcissistically see their alternate selves? Because <laughs> he's not really motivated by ego. Right. And that's just postulated in the show because he's so... Beyond uh, beyond you know. ego, like he's just beyond anything. So, I guess I'll ask you: like, would you, if you could, want to see an alternate self of yours? Like, it's a weird question because it's so mind fucky again about right. alternate selves. But like, if there is, if you <laughs> take multiverse theory seriously, if there are infinite Davids living infinite lives, hmm. if you could, would you look in on one of them? I think I would, and I think. That kind of what we do with stories is to try to do that. Like even when, with getting to know one another, a lot of it is about we learn things about ourselves. Right. And I, I think it would be interesting to see how various decisions perhaps had impacted David and other universes. Yeah, I, I would. But I don't think I would do it. See, the, the funny thing about how uh, Beth and Jerry go about it is then they suddenly start comparing themselves mm-hmm. and being like, and then, oh, I mean, Beth goes into an alcoholic like decline, <laughs> yeah. and obviously has propensities towards that because of her dad. Yeah. And Jerry, Jerry becomes like realizes that you know. But then I guess that's the heart of what I'm asking. Like, would you be able to look in on alternate David and not compare yourself to it to him? I think so, I, because I do a lot of thinking about this David, right? And try to come to grips with aspects of myself. Okay. But I wouldn't say that I have a lot of regrets, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that makes sense. And I guess maybe a lot of people... And I don't really believe in regret. Mm. Right? Like, I think once you've made a choice, you've made that choice. And if you've hurt people, then you need to fix that problem. Like, you you shouldn't want to hurt people. But, like, hopefully your intention wasn't to hurt people in the first place. What matters is what hasn't been, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Would you? Well, okay. I actually... I want to think a little bit more about what you said about that because i think i have a breakdown of intuition here and i think there is a breakdown of intuition that if you were to really take this thought experiment seriously in that if we think about alternate selves as stories ways we could be even comparing ourselves to other people in the world those are all kind of like fun ethereal things to do but if you were to really take seriously the idea that you could physically go and view other versions of yourself i don't think our psychological reaction to that wouldn't be seeing you it would be seeing another person yeah but then it'd be seeing another person that is who you. is supposed to be you and so then you could like lord it over the people of oh, the david you're better than <laughs> better than and then feel frustrated or so really would just than... be seeing other people yeah i think yeah, it would actually, be. that's a really good point because like <laughs> and that's actually kind of a just be seeing people who look like you point right because I mean, well, I think of my dad. He's an identical twin. So really, he has seen right. another him wandering around the world making different choices than he did. Because <laughs> yeah. they're biologically the same. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> or so, genetically, sorry, so not I, biologically. But I, yeah. I have a weird 
that's I don't really know what to think point. about it. You would it. probably be like, huh, look at that guy. Yeah. Well, it's actually similar to, I remember, again, in another Korea story, I was hanging out with a friend, and we were just kind of, you know, shooting shit, talking about whatever, and she was like, so time travel came up, and she said something like, well, if you could, what would you think the future would be like? Would you go to the future? Or, or something like, what do I think about time travel? And it was similar that we talked to actually in our book version of Children of Men. Is like, I would never be in the future. No. I would only just be in the present. And the idea of the past or the future depends on there being other people who I could communicate this abstract idea to. Because without the other people, there would be no kind of shared fiction of the past or the future. Because even if you recorded it, who's it just... <laughs> if you're the who's only person, yeah. yeah, who's going to view it? And so if I went to the past or the future, I would just actually be in the present. And then I could like try to explain to the people in the present that I'm in about the fact that I had been in different time things. Right. But then again, the language breaks down. Right. <laughs> what could I say? So I was like, even if time travel were possible, you would never experience it that way. Right. <laughs> you would never right. experience. It and, would always be the present. Yeah. And, Obviously, in Rick and Morty and a show or a movie that deeply inspired Rick and Morty, Back to the Future, they play with the implications of the temporal space-time continuum interruption in one sense or another. But you'll notice in Back to the Future Part 2, the only people who think that the alternate 1985 is wrong are Doc and Marty. Yeah. (laughs) Because they were the ones who were in... The other the one. other time yeah. period, so they know why it shouldn't be, and that again is just postulated for a good movie, <laughs> for an yes. awesome movie. Yes, it's just the present for people, right? It's not like the wrong present. It's just the present, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I don't even know what I said there, <laughs> if it was useful or not. But I think that because this line I think gets to something deep about Rick, which we would be remiss to not talk about in season two. He's chastising morty and summer and he's saying you really are your father's children think for yourself don't be sheep and i do think that there is an element of rick and i think this is the the sliver of sentience he cares about is the people who do think for themselves the people who can come to their own decisions based on all the relevant knowledge because that's what he has been able to do yeah (laughs) right so if i mean in the sense that people can follow in Rick's footsteps. He likes that. And I feel a vibration of admiration to that sentiment, though. It's like, well, yeah, don't just listen to your dumbass dad, Jerry. And I mean, Jerry is a comedic limit case (laughs) of patheticness. So it's easy to tell. But in real life, people aren't as pathetic as Jerry who still try to kind of control your thinking, right? Or control your perception of things and i don't know like i does it have to be as harsh as rick says it like i I, there's a part of me that thinks it might have to be well i think how are you ever going to convince someone that they're living less than i heard a quote the other day that i wanted to share here which was says you'll never get past your level of (laughs) self-awareness so right really the the journey is to elevate your self-awareness because if you can't do that you're never going to be emotionally more healthy than your self-awareness. You're never going to right. be capable of being more creative than your own self-awareness. Like You have to have a pretty solid understanding of who you are, what your place in the universe is, like 
you have to you've got to build that up. It is a lot of work, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because if you don't, haven't done that, then it's, yeah. being a sheep is easy, mm. right? Let's not forget we're not that far from chimpanzees. Like, <laughs> oh, we're like, very close. Like, and it isn't hard mm. for the animal side of us to take over yeah. and just join the herd. And I think that that the hard work aspect of self awareness and autonomy and and autonomy of thought that effort is not something Rick cares about no like he doesn't actually he doesn't yeah he's he not does. interested in investing in helping well, well he certainly well, not, he is i hear he's passively let's, let's doing go back it. to what you're saying yeah he's not doing it through talk yeah he's doing it through experience and it might not be his intention well remember when he the, the but it might be the like Mises, it's hard to know Mises, he just gives yeah. them the Mises boxes and yeah just go crazy yeah now you know, a cynical reading of that could be he was just trying to distract them so he could go and hang out with Morty and do cool adventures. But maybe he's trying to teach them a lesson that, like, if they get what they want, right? what will that mean? Mm. Yeah. Well, he makes quips about it, and it's hard to tell. Like, it's hard, It's almost impossible to psychoanalyze Rick. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but his well, effect... To, to psychoanalyze Rick, we'd have to be able to, like you said, talk to yeah. the creators. The creators and, and And even then... Often the creation takes on a yeah, and the but the effect of Rick in the people like the Smith family around him is very much a kind of weirdly deepening awareness of the world yes. <laughs> and the universe and themselves for everyone except Jerry, and even Jerry does it, but then he reverts back, and I think that that's probably a show decision more than a Jerry decision. Like, it's right. just funnier if Jerry is his most pitiable self. Yeah. In, yeah. in, like, it's, fu- like, it's funnier in the sense that funny shows need two characters who are polar opposite. That trope is very well represented. Well, in compar- this show. comparison, you know, helps yeah. draw out yeah. the nuance. Yeah. When you were saying that, that resonates with me because that's definitely what happened to my life in how I went through a few different paradigms of truth, <laughs> for lack of a better, paradigms of the way the world is, maybe. So, you know, when I was a kid, I had, it was, I just, any talk about God, I took in with the milk, right? Yeah. And that was the truth. And then by the time I got to university, it was very much like, why aren't we communists? Like, why right. are people suffering? There's That's the only way to help it, like... Give up your shit, all you selfish, greedy assholes, right? right? And then that kind of passes when you learn a little bit more. And then it was like, well, God is stupid and everyone should be atheists. <laughs> Figure it out, fuckheads. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then you kind of see good points people are making against that in different ways. And it's just like this kind of growth and becoming more aware, like really, in real life, it's much more just how is it going more than what is it? Yeah. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what I mean? It's a it's a processional. Well, it's it's mentality. being less wrong. Right? Yeah. It's that con- that's continuous pursuit because you're always going to be wrong in some way. So it's that continual pursuit of of just trying yeah. to. And so then, do you think it's more comedy of the show? I guess it must be more comedy of the show where Rick doesn't need that process because he's already there. We don't know how he got there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? That's why it's just, yeah. here's a premise, right? Here's yes. a premise. Rick's already there. Again, this is why he's kind of unrelatable. 
Like, I don't, this is what I mean when I don't think that there is actually a person like Rick, even in their behavior. No. Because he's just too, like, it's an animated show that just makes him perfect at everything. <laughs> but it's an interesting emotions and family. <laughs> and here's one of the, ha, I'm going to, I'm going to step on a, probably a landmine here, but part of why I think this show is so popular, and actually they reference it multiple times, is like that Rick's on the spectrum, right? Right, right. And it's the idea that, there's a lot of people out there who feel that they're very, 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 very intelligent, mm. but can't relate to other people. Right. And they don't have social graces, and, mm. but they're like, but they're, they see themselves almost godlike. But do you, th- uh, I feel like, and I, I'm not an expert here, so I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm going to tread lightly. I'm just going to tread respectfully. Like, don't most people on the spectrum not even notice the social things that they're, Ignoring, yeah, yeah I, I, no, but Rick I think, seems to just blow past them but without I think caring about people them. that are in. I think that's why he's their hero. Mm, okay, right? He is not restrained by society, government, all these things. He is simply able to transcend all of that, which they they themselves think is stupid. Okay, well, here's an inflammatory question for you okay. then. <laughs> so, feel free to burn yourself all over. Do you think then that if people on the spectrum could, and I'm not saying they can't because I don't know, but to the extent that they can't, if they did notice the social things that they generally miss, would they just rip them apart like Rick does? Would they want to? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm asking. I think they would probably want to. Oh, okay. Especially because I think a big problem with being super intelligent and I actually don't put myself in that category. I think I'm, I've am i learned a lot. But like I've met people who are like just at a higher level. Their mind just works faster than mine. It is hard to communicate with people who, who don't. And I see this in my own little way with just with things that I'm an expert in. So like I know a lot about politics, right? right. So talking right, right, right. to regular certain people about politics can be difficult because I'm like, well, what about this and this and this and this? Mm. Right, and you could you could rip apart their ideas, but it's not because they're stupid. In this mm. case, it's just because they're they had just just don't have as much experience. Just like I don't know how to fix your car engine. Sure, and if I tried, it, it would be laughable. <laughs> right, I'm already laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man, this is a, a crazy question. But people being on the spectrum, is it really just that it's hard for them to relate mm. mentally? Now, I'm not talking about people who you know have genuine mental illness that, that restricts them from sure, right. from proper thought processes. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about people who are incredibly intelligent in one aspect, mm. but seem to lack the social graces. I could see how a person like that wouldn't really want, wouldn't want to think that social graces are important. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's accurate. And I think then you get Rick. Mm-hmm. And he just rips apart the... And you're like, oh, this is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, this is exactly why I want... Like, what was the character sketch made out for Rick when they conceived of this show? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. he seems to, like, have so... He's like a patchwork of so many different ways of being and thinking. That is so fascinating. But it 
it can't be all in one person. You know, it just can't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, at least I've never come across. <laughs> there are people in almost any work of fiction that even if they're like kind of out there, but I'm like, okay, I kind of see someone in my life I've seen who's a little bit like this, but I've never seen anyone like Rick. No, no, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> all right. I mentioned this a bit earlier, but I thought that this was a, a big and interesting and not well discussed in our current culture grandpa and the government don't get along obviously there's the libertarian side of that and so i don't i don't want to mean this in a political sense but i'll bring it up in a cultural sense eric weinstein has recently you know in his new podcast and i've heard him say something to the effect of as a culture we need to be more okay with disagreeable people again so people who can innovate and move shit forward have historically been not pleasant right <laughs> isaac right. newton was not a pleasant person no uh several steve sign- jobs yeah from, steve jobs yeah. right so it's like well in a world as technological and and eric weinstein's argument is that we're actually technologically pretty static yeah, yeah. since the 1970s i mean obviously other than communications and telecommunications we have a pretty similar infrastructure <laughs> yeah. and so we haven't innovated. And why haven't we innovated? Well, part of it is you get comfortable, and that's human nature too. You get comfortable after you've innovated for a while. But part of it says, like, we've developed this culture of the necessity of agreeableness as a way to get in the door for anything. <laughs> like, that's like the the God tribute to have to get into institutions. And, he, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a bit of a joke. like, make disagreeableness great again. <laughs> and I And I'm interested in this idea because i i don't think i'm disagreeable i think i actually score probably pretty high in agreeableness in a big five personality trait but i disagree with people and even if someone else's idea is better than mine it needs to stand that test of dialectic and talking about it and that just doesn't seem to be (laughs) what's desired in our culture in our society and our era and so i want what's what's your take on the necessity of the disagreeable person who can do awesome things do we dissuade them by not having a space for that kind of person i just wonder how do we make a space for those people because i i think we should there's a difference between just being an asshole and being an a a disagreeable innovator right and how do we how do we not well that's rick yeah, yeah. <laughs> like right? which of those two is Rick? Well, he's both. Yeah. So, what if? Here's a thought. Like, what if the innovator at the level of Rick, who's not real, but a, an innovator at a level of like Newton, <laughs> right? What if? Like, well, have you heard of Feynman? They have to be. Have asshole. you read Feynman? Have I read Feynman? Have, no. Have you ever heard of Feynman? Oh yeah, I've yeah. Heard, yeah, yeah. So he wasn't really an asshole. No, uh, he was an incredibly interesting, and everyone kind of loved him. Sure, guy. Sure. And he, well, he created the nuclear bomb. So I guess there's, you know, <laughs> well, played a big role in it. Yeah. So I guess there's a, a point to be made that you can be agreeable and create create <laughs> terrible things. Yeah. Create terrible things. Although, again, thinking about nuclear power, it could mm. be the thing that that gets us off of fossil fuels. So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of arguments to be made on, you know. Well, and, and Charles... Science is just a tool and it's how we use it. But Charles Darwin was pretty agreeable too. Yeah. But he needed someone like Thomas Huxley to be disagreeable for him because of how innovative his idea was. Yeah. So so to push an idea forward, I think you do need disagreeable people because they have to, they have to be disagreeable in this sense. They have to be willing 
to piss people off because there's always going to be people who have a lot at stake with the status quo. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, oh, they're little sheep and they're wandering through life. It's right. like, no, there are people <laughs> whose you know interests are right. entangled in the status quo. Yeah. And if, it, for example, like uh, Henry Ford, you know, mass production of the automobile, right? There were a lot of people whose entire worlds were caught up in horse and buggy, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And they weren't very happy yeah. to see this change. Let's take, I'm going to bring him up, Elon Musk, <laughs> like yeah, the disruption yeah, yeah, yeah. of the of the um, of the gas-powered automobile industry. There's a lot of people who aren't very happy about that. So, yeah, I think I think you have to be. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, I think it's, and, it, and it's not a difficult, it's not assholeness. Right. Right? It, yeah. you don't, it doesn't have to it's be. It's a good distinction. It doesn't have to be treating people poorly to lift yourself up. It has to be, I'm not just going to go along to get along. Hmm. Yeah. Well, then, just also maybe a th- uh, if you have a thought on like how our culture is not very good at encouraging those people right now. Well, I think right now we're very much a herd culture. We're very much a you know things are pretty good. We've kind of we've created so much wealth that we we can be comfortable. Yeah. We don't need True. innovators to live lives of opulence and luxury compared mm-hmm. to our ancestors. I mean. We have home heating. Like, yeah. things are nuts. But you know what? I was using something the other day. Okay, this isn't what it was, but here's here's a good thing. Like, I don't know if listeners have... We have something in Canada called Skip the Dishes, which is this app that has been created to become a... <laughs> I mean, this is the level of <laughs> ease at which our lives are. We can just get basically any restaurant delivered to our door now not just delivery yeah it's not just like pizza and any of that you could any any food you want so anytime i do it i was like oh i want vietnamese soup or i want uh nachos or i want a burger or i want you know like (laughs) fucking a steak from somewhere it's like geez this is a cool idea this i guess is a service industry is where innovation would theoretically happen now no for sure well uber but but i think like it's like and this is something eric weinstein's talked about too and i can't articulate news because was like you reach a certain level of comfort you don't even know how f- much better it could get right because right. of you're just whatever like i have maybe, my maybe. i have my couches i have my indoor heating i have my, I, I have my comfy bed i have my skip of the dishes <laughs> like what could we do like where well, like like here's like theoretically mm. theoretically it is possible to create something that could move atoms around that literally you could 3d print any food you wanted <laughs> right now of course the problem there is the energy requirements to move the atoms around mm. there's there's still a lot of basic physics issues here sure but it's not physically impossible okay yeah and so <laughs> like yeah like that's the craziness of i mean we're already printing organs yeah right well you know what Rick could fucking do that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Rick for could sure. print you I think food. he probably has done yeah, something actually, like that. Yeah, actually, I'm almost certain. He, <laughs> yeah. Well, he made himself a pickle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so he, can, <laughs> he managed to manipulate his own genome to the level where he became a pickle, a pickle. But still a pickle with a fully functioning vocal system. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so he must have had lungs. <laughs> and then he gets a bite taken out of him yeah. at one point. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm Because he's an asshole, Rick is maybe not the best example about this, but... Like, Rick is disagreeable to the government. He's disagreeable to basically every institution around him. Even the Council of Rick. Even the Council of Ricks. And 
this is an almost certain side effect of his genius. Yes. To put an epitaph on that, like it's kind of what I mean earlier, and I can't remember what episode, but I talked about like just being more okay with a wider range of behaviors that aren't evil. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like more okay with people who are talk and act so different from me in a way that maybe it wouldn't work in my <laughs> university board meeting but it works in the lab right? <laughs> because right. they don't give a shit about the board members. And me, and yeah, like the ego part is a big part of it too. Is like board members want to be, they want shits given about them. Yes. And people who create innovative ideas don't give a shit about people who sit on boards. No. <laughs> and so no. that's a hit to the ego. Yeah. So it all, kind of, it all comes back to the fucking ego, doesn't it? it? Everything. Everything comes Everything. back to the ego. <laughs> It's like, uh, you ever play that game, Four is Cosmic, or Four is the Magic Number? No. Well, it's a never-tell game, but it's like, ego is the magic phenomenon. Right. So it's like, five is four, four is the magic number, uh, <laughs> ten is three, three is five, five is four, four is the magic number. Ah, uh, gotcha. So, phenomenon is to hear, to hear, it's actually ego. Yeah, it's all, <laughs> you it's know? all just ego. It's all just ego all the way down. <laughs> Turtles all the way down. So this quote, not not the real Pentagon Morty, just the lame one here on Earth. <laughs> Maybe we talked about this. We don't have to talk about it a lot. But I think something I love about Rick is he has something that I call cosmic humility. Because he realizes how big the world and the universe is, he doesn't get to bent out of shape about any specific instance of well, any it's phenomenon like the, uh the superhero group mm. like that the, the vindicators Mort- yeah, the vindicators and morty's like oh these guys are so awesome yeah. i love what they do uh, and he's just like no like they're <laughs> they're <laughs> all me, caught up i'm gonna get drunk yeah. kill the world ender <laughs> while i'm drunk just to show you how shitty they are and that they'll tear each because in that episode they kill each other yeah well they just they, tear each other up they've been cheating on each other yeah, yeah. there's just like their their motives are obviously not pure at all <laughs> yeah rick only really goes to extents to like teach morty things about this his is actually own passions. one of the things i love mo- well remember the heist episode like <laughs> yeah, he literally yeah, the whole episode <laughs> is that isn't it you heisted morty's mind but um just a just a like a kind of quick thought on cosmic humility is that i really like this idea of when you realize how it's again a reference to that okay you can't take yourself too seriously because you're one thing in a vast cosmos and we know this now physically and scientifically so once you realize that okay <laughs> let's have a joke and yeah. maybe even a drink uh, who knows right <laughs> a little reference to his, talking about his ethics it's always unethical when he isn't doing it yeah <laughs> so whenever someone has his idea <laughs> like the simulation yes, episode he's like no. when his simulated creation starts simulating things like hey that's my <laughs> idea that's unethical <laughs> so he's such a hypocrite sometimes isn't he uh here's a good line Probably just a cosmic coincidence. Your mind mistakes for thematic. <laughs> and a, that's a nod to our pattern-seeking minds, hey? Man, and do we ever, yeah. right? Like, it is really, really difficult. I'm actually a big believer in the idea that that pattern-seeking tendency that we have right. is the foundation of our ability to create. Well, you, it has to be. Yeah. And and it's actually, it's a weird thing because it's actually also a fundamental prerequisite to science, because you have to make observations, notice patterns, and then test that against other patterns. Yeah, so while, while there is, a, a, I guess, a shadow side to our pattern, which is like mm-hmm. we try to imbue yeah. meaning into every little coincidence, yeah. 
it's probably there's a lit the, side too. There's one of the like it's probably one of the best things we've got. Totally, right? we couldn't build a house. Well, music is patterns. Language is patterns. Yeah, Shakespeare is patterns. Like yeah, I do like how the dichotomy between something like astrology and astronomy in, in you know a show like Rick and Morty where they're always in space is so funny. Where it's he's so astrology is primitive man's attempt to find patterns in the skies yes. you know and how yeah. culturally relevant that has been and yet <laughs> you know you still have horoscopes in the yeah. so the pattern recognition i think we've talked about this before the shadow side of the pattern recognition is when you have the optical illusion but you don't know you're having the optical illusion and so you're operating as if it's not an optical illusion and the lit side, I don't know the better term for it, sorry, young, right. <laughs> <laughs> is when you have the optical illusion, you know it's an optical illusion or some form of illusion, but you kind of still enjoy it anyway. But right. you don't take it too seriously because you know it's an illusion. <laughs> so astrology is fun unless it's like your guiding principle. Right. And then you're just an idiot <laughs> and also an idiot who's gonna have a bad time yeah <laughs> yeah well, so the universe is gonna become pretty confused exactly <laughs> exactly but but then the lit side is okay you can make a really cool song or a cool story about astrology yes, right right i remember pokemon snap that video game had all the the star yeah some there were signs and one of them was a star of one of the pokemon and i was like oh that's kind of cool like they threw it a uh, constellation into pokemon snap oh no i know what it was so it, <laughs> i can't believe i'm talking about pokemon <laughs> snap here but great game really yeah, great yeah. game nintendo 64 it, but... for life <laughs> throughout the first six level it was a game where you take pictures of pokemon yes, yeah. through the first six levels after you got through the six levels everyone there was like a sign so you'd have to find a picture of like a rock formation or some formation of a pokemon and then the very last level where you could chase mew around all of them are in the sky as stars, as oh. constellations. And it was really cool. <laughs> yeah, that is So cool. <laughs> you can still make something kind of awesome out of an astrological motif as long as you know that that's what you're doing. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I think that's the important part. Mm, let's see. Yeah, the end of season two is really his nadir of the yeah. show where fuck you, Summer, fuck the government, and fuck opening up. Right. Like, it's just right. the toughest his, episode. His third one, yeah, the third line there being probably the most important one because what's, what's Rick's real problem is that he doesn't want relationship. No, not at all. Because if, if he has a relationship, then he's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the tone, like, there's a way you can say fuck you to someone. It's like, fuck you, or like, fuck you, David. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's it means more like, shut up, or right. what are you talking about? Or, but the tone or, he or says, I disagree with you even. Yeah, but the tone he's like, Fuck you, Summer. Yeah. Like, there's no, like, I he's he's yeah. 100% sincere about it, and like, that's a triggering term for me because that's something you almost can't walk back. Yeah, like that's an almost unforgivable because it's the deepest put down of you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like you matter so little to me that this is what I'll say to you. Now, I mean, there could be worse things. I don't know. That's just one for me that mm. always gets me really deep. Is like um, when people mean it. Yeah, once you mean it. Yeah, that's like a almost that one's hard to walk back, I think. He did everything in the season opener of season 3 to displace Jerry and he tells it all to Morty just to make him feel terrible right after he's been good Rick the whole episode, eh? Yeah. It's like that was a dark moment for him, I think. The Szechuan sauce yes. episode. Yes. That was dark. 
And he's oh. manipulating the government guy the whole time. But so in in season three, the episode where they're at the Citadel of Ricks again, and it's all the Ricks and all the Mortys, there's a rich Rick who kills terrorist Rick after sweet talking him, like promising him stuff. And then as soon as he's away from the cameras or away from the attention, he just kills him. But then they harvest his brain for their wafers for their candy right right so the population lives on literal sweetness of his example and what that motif made me think about was how elite people in society will manipulate good examples or (laughs) heroes of the culture for their own gain and yet treat them so terribly or dismissively behind closed doors right or away from the camera and yet we adore our sweethearts, but who knows? And I mean, maybe the starkest example of this is soldiers, right? Like, right, that we <laughs> you, literally being what, sent to their what, deaths. What demographic is more ostensibly celebrated than troops? Right. Support our troops, support the soldiers. And yet, I mean, and I'm not an expert on this, but how many stories have you come across of like veterans just, just not being cared for? Not being cared for, you know? <laughs> so. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on any of that? Like rich and elite types feeding the public a hero, but not actually caring about. Well, them. I mean the we. I mean in in kind of my world, we here in Canada we call them the Laurentian elite, but they're but they're everywhere, right? And and ostensibly, it's one of the, the most the Laurentian Laurentian elite because basically the people who run Canada are from the Laurentian area, which is like kind of Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa. Oh, okay. So we call them. But and I mean and then is we're, that like the St. Lawrence? Yeah, kind okay, of. They're, they're called right. the Laurentian Mountains. They're just like small little. They're really hills. But <laughs> here's what I would say on that. I think that there is a a tendency in human society to once you get to a certain point, believe you got there based almost entirely on merit. Mm. You get so high up, right? And you're, you're like, just... "Well, I'm just better than other people." Mm. And then you start to think you're smarter than other people. Okay. And then you start to think that, like Richrick, yeah, this is like <laughs> your rightful place in the universe. Sure. And that you know those other people are less valuable because you know maybe they don't produce as much, or maybe they're not as smart as, or maybe you know whatever it might be. You you start to see their value as less than yours. I think that has calcified throughout all of human history into like you know the aristocracy or you know the ruling class or the caste system in india or whatever right, you right, might right, yeah. say here's an example right when kate middleton married uh prince william okay everyone was like well she's from the she's a commoner right her family was worth like 30 million dollars when sure. they got married or even more than that i think and the reason she was called a commoner is had nothing to do with the success of her family even mm. it was just she's not from our class which is hereditary right and i think that the reason that the hereditary upper class looks down on everyone else mm. is because that's all they have yeah 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 and i mean without now, that perception of that what do you have if you're rich rick right. in the citadel yeah yeah well, so then you mock the people who make success out of nothing because, well, they they don't have the they don't they don't know the the traditions and the rituals that make us superior. Which really, what it is, right? It's like they don't wear the suit the right way. They don't uh, yeah, they don't yeah, talk yeah. in the right accent. You know, it would be fascinating, and I would love a good book recommendation. Maybe if a listener knows the history 
of the elites. Where did they come from? Is it something that's thousands of years old? I guess it has to be. Oh, I would think so. I mean, but is arrows. It, but is it tens of thousands of years old? Like, it had to start culturally somewhere. Well, it also seems like where we are, I think, just as biologically, we feel more connection to those who share our genes, mm, right? Yeah. And, I, and that's even, and that's not just a psychological thing. Like, there's biological, you feel closer to people who share your genes because you can, like, mm. their pheromones are more similar to your right. own. Right, right, right. Um, and so I think it's like, well, of course you want your kid to rule the tribe after you're gone. <laughs> and that's your sense of immortality sure. too, right? Sure, yeah. That's true. That That's a really fucking deep thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's like, that's deeper mm. than a civilization. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. But still, I'd love to read like a yeah. There's gotta history be on, there. yeah. history on the elites. Or how you now, get there. Now, obviously yeah. it'd be hard to actually find that because ideally they'd keep it hidden. <laughs> yeah. Actually, have you ever heard of a movie called The Conspiracy? No. It's a found footage movie about a conspiracy theory about this like secret society. And I mean, the punchline of the movie is that it's true. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually real. Well, not in real life, oh. but it's real in the movie. Right. Like it's the punchline of the movie's story is that the crazy people who have been talking about it were onto we're something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and it's yeah. terrifying. Yes. Very terrifying. So, um, just a couple things. One last kind of tangential point, but I I wanted to kind of bring up. So, it is in season four. It's in the heist episode. And Rick has a line where he says, don't get drawn into the culture. Stealing is about the stuff, not the stealing. And so, what made me think is, sell the steak, not the sizzle. Because all of the like all of the feel of that episode is i think it's like heist con it's like how to heist better it's a big convention it's all like whoop 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 we can (laughs) steal it's like whipping up the emotions and it made me think about that expression like don't sell the steak sell the sizzle and i think one of the aspects of what i consider to be the highest common denominator thinking is nope sell the steak not the sizzle the steak yeah. yeah And that's, I think, why in my Rorschach test of Rick that anyone sees what they think, that's why I like him, I think, is that the need to not have a facade. Because as you know, like, uh, without it being a, a cliche as much as it can be, like, I, I don't use it in a cliche way. Like, I, I really deeply care about authenticity, the way someone presents themselves being how they actually are. Like, they're not changing their behavior or what they truly care about based on an audience yes (laughs) like that's how they act when they're by themselves is not completely different or not even very different from how they act in front of other people maybe there's no better way to measure (laughs) authenticity than that you know and so that's kind of how my perception is and so i liked that motif of that line because it made me think of like well no i'm interested in selling the steak yeah you know what's the meat of the and i mean what's the not literally for the vegetarian listeners out (laughs) there because i deeply respect vegetarianism and i and veganism but like what's yeah what is the product what's the reality what are we doing you know and i and i liked that part of that was my favorite part of the heist episode yeah i mean obviously they made fun of it (laughs) quite well but so okay here like i know that that's just an idea so maybe i'll ask you a question like assuming that that would also be a value worth going for like what is a different approach do you think for selling the steak and not the sizzle of something okay well maybe this way instead of 
talking about a company's profits. Talk about what it's trying to achieve in the world. Mm, okay. Right? So, do you have any particular so like, company in mind? It's really fashion. <laughs> it's really fashionable to talk about uh, vision statements now. Of like, course, and yes. companies love to talk about. They're like, and this is the rubric <laughs> with which we're going to approach the world. Yeah. But like a real vision. So an example that I appreciate is a company called Kirkland Gold um, okay. here in Canada. They're a mining right. company. Mm-hmm. And he's just, the, the CEO is very clear. He's like, no, we're a mining company and our, our job's going to be to produce more gold. <laughs> like, right. And he's just yeah. very simple. He's like, but he's like, yeah. but the vision isn't just to do that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we want to become the best gold producers. Okay. Like, instead yeah. of instead of saying, like, he's like, I don't want to be just another mine. Right. I want to be the Walmart of mines. Like, ah, I want to... Yeah. And so he's, he's selling this vision to not only the um, stockholders, but he's mm-hmm. also selling it to the employees. Like, yeah. instead of saying, this is your job, and mm-hmm. come and do it and then go home. Right. It's like, let's be part of something big. Sure. Right? And yeah, that yeah, gets yeah. people... That's selling the stake. It's like... The, that's the vision. The mm-hmm. vision isn't make some profits. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The vision is because that's, that's the amorphous. That's, that's the sizzle, right? It's yeah. like, oh, look at the amount of profits he's getting. Yeah. No. Why is he getting the profit? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I obviously, <laughs> you can tell by my tone, I have my thoughts, but like convention culture. Right. You know, yes. like the, and I've even, I, I've and brought it up with culture. I've brought it up with you before. And this is, again, like a really intensely end of the line version of this but in that show on becoming a god in central florida which is a multi-level marketing company it's revealed later on in the first season that the products that this company is selling make no money because they suck right (laughs) they're terrible products so (laughs) this is the beauty of it most of the money that the company generates is from (laughs) convention Training Ticket prices probably, and training to, materials to get people to sell the stuff. To get people to sell the stuff, yeah. so most of their money is made on telling people to go sell the stuff that they say is making the money. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now that's sizzle par excellence. Well, that's sizzle without steak. Yeah, <laughs> like I know, I know. That's what exist. I mean. That's yeah, that's yeah. what I mean by sizzle par excellence. And so, like, that's like obviously again another limit case. But that's, and you know what? I mean, and it's well, we don't have to talk about. It. I, I there's an element of sizzle too church (laughs) too i think and the mega church evangelical type of and so i've been doing a lot of thinking on that particular point and i think i think well we can talk about that later yeah that's a we're we're two hours (laughs) so i'm liking that aspect of rick i think so what i'm going to do now is i'm going (laughs) to stop 10 quote well, I just want to read yeah. the funniest lines that I wrote down that Rick said, or right. the ones that I enjoy the most. If you have any, you can say them too. And then there was one other line that I would want to leave the episode okay, on. Perfect. So season one, it's a figure of speech, Morty. They're bureaucrats. <laughs> I just did, for some reason. That's <laughs> well, I so loved funny. that particularly because he's. T- he said, "You said they were robots." <laughs> <laughs> I know, like that. That line is so funny. It's like, yeah, I I, that is like that encapsulates. I don't. The I don't dislike anyone who's a bureaucrat no. personally, but I do dislike bureaucracy. Yeah, exactly. Very much. Exactly. I dislike it. I thought the whole point of having a dog was to feel superior, Jerry. Don't pull that thread too hard. Ooh, <laughs> good bird. From the very top, Jerry says. Well, traditionally, <laughs> science projects 
or have been a father-son thing or something like that, right? And then Rick says, well, scientifically, traditions are an idiot thing. <laughs> Here's just a good line of his dismissiveness of general. Who cares what you two are talking about? <laughs> and then, yes, I did it. There's no God in your face, motherfucker. <laughs> his confidence in this is so funny, hey? Take your pants off and get swifty. <laughs> get swifty yeah. with it. We're going to get some ice cream, motherfucker. <laughs> also, just as a side, I love how offbeat the, the way that the characters talk in this show is. They're often talking at the same time. Yep. They're talking over each other. It's cacophony. They're stuttering. There's like a weird, even the voiceover is not, it's it's not rhythmic. It's not very nice yeah, to listen it, to. Yeah, it doesn't seem like um, it's not... It's so bad, it's clearly intentional. Yes, yes. (laughs) That's something about the show I love. Will you fix your marriage or get a divorce already? (laughs) Morty, how could I refuse after all you've done to blackmail me? (laughs) I refuse to answer a literal call to adventure. (laughs) When they find out that uh, the ethnic minority vindicators have been killed off or gone, he's Right. right. Things did feel less diverse in here. (laughs) don't use your dead wife as an excuse you just hate your place like his harshness when he only helps marty at the very end of like a adventure when he needs him i was eating and you're dirty (laughs) no that's when morty's trying to climb the yeah he's falling down the cliffs yeah (laughs) your booze mean nothing i've seen what makes you cheer oh (laughs) that's a great line eh? booze mean nothing to me i've seen what makes you cheer great so anyway the last thought of this Rick episode that I loved. I, I don't know. This just made me... It was very touching. It's at the end of season three. And I can't remember. I think he's saying it... He says it's either Morty or Summer. So, like, the two, one of the two characters he cares most about in the show. And maybe even Beth, actually. So, I don't remember. Because he, he ends up caring a bit more about Beth. Maybe you matter so little, I like you. And I think there's something here. When someone can't do anything for you socially or politically, but you still, there's something there to like. I feel like that's a kind of, at least like as a good heuristic, like if someone can't do anything for you, but you still enjoy your com- their company, you like them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's someone you, you m- like. You have to yeah. like them, yeah. But I also want to think about more like, yeah, there's something about you that's so unimportant that I truly like you. Right. <laughs> and again, it's a little bit of a nod existentially and metaphysically to that like meaninglessness of like, okay, well, nothing matters now that we've laughed at it. I want to spend my time like, with yeah, you. I wanna, right? Yeah, I'm picking you. And of- almost like more now because you know that even if you invest in anything else, it's just going to cash out at the same level of zero as anything right. else you invest in. So you might as well do it experientially with someone you like in that kind of motif of you laugh at it and then you get serious about it because you're in the right frame of mind now. Right. And I like that that's kind of an approach to friendship as well for Rick. Yeah. At least in that moment. Maybe you you matter so little that I like you. Yeah. Yeah. So we can leave it there and think about it next time it comes up in our lives. But that touched me. Like in a weird way, in a way that most things Rick say don't touch me emotionally. They make me laugh. But that thing touched me. I like that. So anyway... Any other thoughts about Rick? Oof. So many. So there's kind of um 
a sense. I don't know why, but the Pickle Rick episode is probably my favorite <laughs> There's episode. There's something amazing about it. But hey? it's like when he's when he's fighting the rats and yeah. he's just and suddenly and he's I love the the idea that you could solve any problem yes right and yeah it's, and it's so and there's major problems in that episode ma- he like, solves he doesn't have arms at yeah. one point like he's yeah, he kills an it. insect <laughs> and uses his tongue to manipulate <laughs> to its, its brain. brain to give him motility <laughs> like and it all just happens and there's such a confidence with his confrontation of problems because he knows there has to be a solution and i guess i would leave this episode with i think that's what i admire most about rick mm-hmm. is his complete confidence in the solvability of problems that's a great way to put it i love that so two hours and we made it through one character of this show so (laughs) we definitely need two more episodes because there's a lot still to be talked about so anyway thank you for listening this has been another episode of really true fiction my name is luke mason and my name is david parker and we will see you next time with a dub dub (laughs) you guessed it (laughs) 